Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, you'll hear from Jamie. Jamie lost her mom almost 13 years ago, and instead of sharing the story of how she lost her mom, she shares 11 tips for learning how to live without a mom. All of your stories are important. If you have a story to share, please send me an email at daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, here's Jamie. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Thank you for being here today. Today, I have with me Jamie. Uh, Jamie and I, again, have met online only, never in person. Um, And she's a part of the Daughters Without Moms community, unfortunately. Uh, But she has reached out and is ready to share her story about 10 life lessons that she's learned through the process of processing her own grief and her journey uh, without her mom. So I'm going to turn it over to Jamie and let her introduce herself, tell us her story and her tips. And um, thanks for being here, Jamie. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beth. I, uh, I appreciate that as well. As I prepared for this talk, uh, I've many times tried to think about how to talk about what I've learned over time from my mother, my grandmother, and my not so lovely stepmother. <laughs> and uh, if I was to go through all of that, we'd be here for the entire week. So <laughs> I was trying to think of ways to keep this pretty you know, tightly knit. Uh, So I thought about what the experience of not having a mom has taught me and also what things that I've done wrong over time so that I can share it with others so they don't make the same mistakes. So I'm going to tell my story in a way that kind of shows some things I've learned and how I've been healing rather than just giving you the sad bits. And part of the story is also for the girls who felt like they never really fit in. Um, They felt like they had to really try hard to get their mother's love um, and how desperate they were for that love. And uh, it's also for the girls who try to move on from that hole inside only to find out it affected all of their future relationships and all of the things that they did throughout their life, either by asking for too much, people pleasing, getting into very toxic places for a love they were never able to get, gravitating towards people that really couldn't provide me with the love I wanted because I created that story that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And also because I subconsciously wanted this, that familiar feeling of feeling tried to like win that love. So kind of recreating that scenario for my childhood and letting it play out in my relationships just to see if I could win this time. So a little bit of background. I'm 33. I live in Virginia Beach and um, I grew up in Queens, New York for about five and a half years of my life until we moved out to Long Island. And I was born out of wedlock after my parents had approximately two dates and my dad got married to my mom 1987. My parents did not like each other supposedly, let alone love each other. Um, I don't really know much about them uh, except that they were Catholic. Um, They met in a gym and they both really worked hard in their blue collar jobs for a very long time. Um, I do know that my mom used to get up at four o'clock in the morning to take two buses into her job and my dad would sometimes travel up to an hour to get into the office and they would send me off to different people to babysit me but they both valued education. They sent me to a good Montessori preschool and kindergarten. I went to Catholic school for about 12 years of my life. For about 10 of the years that they were together, they would spend a lot of time fighting. And so even though they were able to raise me together, it was pretty much my dad that raised me. And my mom was kind of always working. 
and I guess she valued her, her work a lot, which is part of the reason why she and I didn't really get along was because she wasn't really there. She never would come home and be like, oh, I missed you. How was school? Uh, she would never really pack my lunches. And there's really not a lot that I remember about her doing for me. And so during this time period, I remember feeling like an outcast because not only because my dad did everything for me and he was the only male counterpart every time that there was some sort of social or school event uh, around all of the moms, but I felt weird also that I wasn't allowed to have friends over. I felt weird that we lived in this, what really felt like a small poor home in a bad neighborhood where I'd hear gunshots at night. I'd feel like an outcast also because I'm blind in my right eye. And it's something that I always felt a lot of shame about because we didn't talk about it because we never really talked about it. I thought it was a shameful thing. And I also thought maybe that's why my mom didn't love me. And I thought I should never talk about it with her or with anyone, which also started to make me hate myself, which only added to the feelings with my mom. I didn't feel like my mom really liked me and my dad was super controlling and I'd spend my days wishing I was adopted or had siblings. So I just didn't have to go through all this alone. And I don't really know if my mom ever really wanted me. She never really asked how I was or took me in the night as far as I can remember. I don't remember taking care of me when I was sick. And sometimes I just wonder though, if I actually blocked a lot of this out. I know you and I have talked about this before, Beth, where you just, you have a lot of blackout periods, right? I sometimes wonder if it's a coping mechanism where it was just too painful to think about that maybe she was there for me. And once she was gone and going back and having to reflect on the fact that I didn't hang out with her, I didn't really see her. It's just too painful. My body, my mind, whatever decided to block it out. All I know is that by me thinking on how much she didn't act like I thought she should, I fell into this anger, like pretty much angry, self-destructive victim mentality that really handicapped me in life. I dwelled on all the lack of things in my life, the loss of my sight, not looking like other girls, not having a good family life, not being athletic. And it wasn't really until my 30s that I realized you have to focus on all the things that are going well in your life. My dad is a chronic complainer. Somehow I allowed that to be a habit of mine. Really important to focus on how these experiences have made us into people that we are today. And the problem was those I never really liked myself. And because of that, I was mad at the person I had become. So my life lesson number one of this whole talk, the best thing that you can do, and how I learned this the hard way after many, many years of hating myself, is that you have to work on you. Because what happens is you let things in your life distract you, focus on why you hate yourself. One day you're going to be in a relationship or left with some habit that's not healthy for you. So if you're telling yourself that you should have done something, that you were not there for someone, that you're not worthy of because of the lack of love that you didn't have from your mom, the stories are going to be the energy you put into the world. And that energy will lead to the wrong life partner, the wrong circle of friends, and the wrong habits. And that's not what you want to do because you do so much. And you have to tell yourself that as hard as sometimes it can be every single day. You lost something and you have to tell yourself how worthy you are every single day of good things in your life. And you want to have that family, those friends, and that support group of your dreams. And the way that you get that is you have to figure out who you are, who you want to be, and what it will take to get there. And so it's something that I'm still really working on. It's really quite difficult, but I've seen the alternative. And I've seen the way my family has grieved and I see how they've coped with things in a very unhealthy way. 
So I really just tried to collect my thoughts of all the times I really sat there crying for days on end and all the things I saw in my family and friends that didn't work out for them. So now, not only do I have a grieving toolbox of ways to grieve in a healthy way, I also have a list things to things not to do. That number one was really just to be intentional with your thoughts, story that you tell yourself. Again, there's something that I heard once from uh, Gary John Bishop. He said that if you're going to blame, at least I think it was him <laughs> um, from this book that I read, is if you're going to blame someone for all the bad things in your life, you sure as heck better blame them for all the good in your life. Because your mom made you, she made sure you got into this world. And even though it may not seem like much it is, now it's your responsibility to do something great with your life. And so if you don't like the life that you're in, you're going to spend a lot of time grieving and a lot of time being angry. And let me tell you, being in an angry position in your life is going to lead to more and more pain. You have to get over your ego, or as my friend says, slay the ego. <laughs> and take that sadness that you have within yourself and direct that feeling towards healing yourself and others. And that's not to say that you're not going to be sad about the person who had passed away. It's not going to mean that you're not going to cry sometimes. But what's going to happen is you're going to start to believe that the actions you took or did not take at certain times or the words that you said or did not say were actually appropriate at the moment. And that's something that I really had to sit down and reflect on because there's a lot of stuff I didn't do and I didn't say to my mom and I wasn't there for a long time. So I had left her when I was about 10 not left her laughter, but like my parents divorced and I was 10 and I'd have to have visitations with her. But when I was about 16 is when I actually left her. And it was one of the hardest decisions I had to make. And my stepmom at the time made me feel even worse about it. Uh, she told me basically I was going to hell for leaving my mom. And so it was just a very hard, lonely time for me because I didn't have any siblings. So it's something that really um, can tear you up, like can really tear up your soul. So you just have to go back and remember that you made a decision in the moment and you made it with all of the information that you had in the moment. So you need to focus on how you're going to move forward. If you didn't go through those struggles, you'd not be the person that's more confident, thoughtful, and self-aware that you are today. And that is a gift because there's a lot of self-absorbed people that never get that kind of gift with their lives and they live selfishly and without intention. So tip three, being intentional with your behavior going forward. I wish I could go back, and but I have to focus on what I can control and how to work forward to see how life is working for me, not against me. And once you have other people you care for in your life, you can be very mindful of the things you say. So for me, I promise myself that I'm going to be more kind and respectful with my word choice. I'm going to ask people more often how they're feeling and why they feel that way. I'm also not going to let people into my life who I give and give, but they don't seem to care. Because another thing of not getting love from a certain parent can be that you end up being in relationships where you feel like you constantly have to give and give and it's never enough. I always have gotten myself into this repetitive behavior, repetitive relationships. And so I've always really forced a lot of love in the situations that I've gotten myself into. And then I question the love when I finally do receive it, which makes it so that that come off as really needy and secure. And that really does not bode well for any relationship because no one wants to console you every single day and repeat to you how much they care about you all the time just because you feel insignificant in the moment. Just because you feel insignificant does not mean that you're insignificant either. And there are a lot of people who are like really not um, worthy of being in your life. And you need to be really strict about the boundaries that you set in your life. Um, just because they don't want to be in your life does not mean that you need to keep pushing and suffering that relationship that is draining of your energy and could be better served being with someone who is worthy. 
go forth. <laughs> uh, I learned that relationships are not just about giving, um, sorry, that are about giving rather. Um, relationships aren't just about like what you're receiving. So it's not that you have someone in your life who needs to be giving and giving to you. And it's not a quid pro quo either, which I think was a really hard concept for me to grasp is that, well, I did this for them and it doesn't seem like they ever do anything for me. And how come they're not doing it? It's not equal energy. Obviously, if you're always giving and never giving back, yeah, but you have to think about the bigger picture. A lot of times, you know, when I felt like I've been lacking that attention um, and love in my life, I felt like I was struggling to prove myself worthy because of the way that I was with my, with my mom. So when you feel like nothing's really ever good enough, you can feel like you can't give without any expectation of getting back in return. But eventually you're gonna have a partner that's very tired of giving or may become overwhelmed by your giving. Maybe they'll just not want to receive what you're giving out anymore. But instead of asking yourself what you did wrong, you, know, you can finally go back and you won't regret anything because you gave as much as your beautiful soul could give at the moment and you won't be able to have regrets because you did what you wanted to do. If you're really just kind and generous with your time and your energy, and then you can use that and you can focus on the people and even the causes that are worthy of your love and attention. So sometimes another thing that you can focus on that I've learned is not really just a person that you can give your love and attention to. Maybe it's a charity volunteer position or something or some sort of hobby that really brings you a lot of joy. Um, even though I'm getting something out of it, and that's kind of a funny thing to say altruistic because it's like you're doing something and you're not so expecting your term, you're kind of getting something out of it because you're technically getting your good vibes out of it, right? But that's really good to do. So when you have some sort of volunteering or a hobby, something that can fill your time, that's important. And as long as it's not a distraction from your grieving process, and you have to be really mindful of that, which is why that intentional practice that you have previously is really important because as you're going through these things, you wanna make sure you're not just keeping yourself busy, which is something I used to do a lot. Also, when you love something so deeply, um, and even if you share that passion of volunteering your hobby with someone and you give off that energy of joy, people will really flock to you. They're gonna to wanna to know how you're able to get that joy and um, they're gonna to wanna to radiate it too. And the more you spend time with someone not worthy of your time because of some repetitive childhood trauma that you went through that you're trying to relive or or used for comfort, you will lose time and we have very limited time on this earth. So you should spend it with things and people that are worthy of your time. So life lesson number five, it's really difficult to refocus your energy from loss. I lost a lot of people in my life and I'm not really that close with anyone. It's sad when people talk about their siblings, their whole big family, like my friend was doing when we were out kayaking on Sunday. And they just, when they hear that I don't really have really any family, you know, except for my dad, they're just kind of like in shock. Like they just, they have, you know, four brothers, they, they have this huge family, they have nephews and they're just like, oh. So I always want to focus on the lack in my life. And I start to get sad about my lack of family because my friend is talking about his family. It's like, instead of me just thinking about being mindful in the moment and being like, oh, that's so cool. Tell me more about your family. I'm thinking, oh, I wish I had that. And I'm just ungrateful. And it just, no, I'm grateful for this moment with my friend who's sharing his experience. And maybe one day, like I'll get to meet his family or my other friend's family and they'll adopt me into their family, whatever, you know, but like, just be mindful and focus on the person in front of you and the relationship that's in front of you. Cause that's super important. Cause if you're not present and you're thinking in your mind, like you go start to drift off, which I tend to do a lot, you just start to think like, 
I wish I was like, I wish I had that. And then all of a sudden you missed the story they were telling. I used to focus on, you know, all the things like I can't hug my mom. I don't have advice of how to parent. I don't have anyone to go to. Um, but instead of just doing that, you have to shift into like what you have and what you're going to build. So really focusing on the future and also being in the present moment when you are with someone. And if you think that you don't have anything right now that you'd be grateful for, all I can say is you're wrong. There's at least three things that I can promise you that you're grateful for every single day. And when you're having that kind of energy where you feel like there's so much good filling up your life, it's really hard to be sad. And people will really gravitate towards that. They're gonna wanna be a part of it. Number six, uh, when I feel really sad, um, I feel really drained. So I get that it's really hard to be in that moment when you're sad. So I'm not expecting people like people to be like positive vibes only, you know, oh, I don't want to deal with your sadness. That's not what I'm saying. You can definitely be sad. Everyone's allowed to be sad. That's not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to say is it's really hard to get out of the pit of despair. And so the more you focus on it, the more you're going to be there. And I know that I spent every day for at least four months crying and I'm not exaggerating. It was pretty bad. And that was actually recently. And my mom passed 12 years ago. The grieving process will always be there if you don't deal with it appropriately. The thing that I want to say is just when you get into a relationship where you feel like they have to constantly add to your energy. So if I was at that low energy place and then I'm always asking a partner to console me, they're going to be drained, right? It's, it's one thing to ask them to just give you a hug or whatever, and you tell them how to support you in that moment. But it's quite another to constantly be like, do you love me? Do you care about me? Do you like, and constantly are asking them to reaffirm how they feel for you. It's not a happy relationship for them. And they really don't deserve that. Otherwise, you can end up in a really unfulfilling relationship where you're always trying to fix them or, or they're always trying to fix you. Lesson number seven um, this is a little unrelated, but when you lose someone, it's important to slow down. So for instance, when you lose a relationship or if you lose your mom, um, and you feel like you're at this loss, right. And you feel like you have to fill it with either a new relationship or something else. I urge you to slow down and be comfortable with yourself and being alone because it's a scary place to be. Um, but also slow down during the time when you're healing and the time when someone maybe have just passed. So when my mom had passed, I felt like I was going through a stranger's items because I didn't really know her. And I was very angry and I was very sad. I was also remorseful. I was also guilty. There was a lot going on. My mind was a mess. Um, I felt really helpless and I just felt very alone because I was going through all this stuff by myself. I was like, how many clean this house? How am I going to handle expenses? How many rent this house? Cause it was during the, um, when everything had gone down in 2008, um, the market was kind of bad. I would urge you, instead of trying to clean out a house or go through her things, when if you have the money to do so, get a storage unit and save everything in there right now, or see if you have a family member that will hold on to some stuff. You know, if you don't really feel like dealing with it right now, that's okay. But I would hold on to it and deal with it later. Obviously, there's bills and stuff you're going to have to deal with, right? But like, there's you should definitely work on trying to find something so that way you can put it off for a little bit. Because right now it may be easier just to throw stuff out, but you may regret it later. Number eight, anger. Anger will get you nowhere. If you appreciate everything, even the bad stuff, 
and you're grateful for your life at this moment, you won't regret what's happened because the more you are grateful and also present in the moment, there's no room for anger and there's no room for guilt. All there is is gratitude. So it's so very important every single day to do that and to not get down yourself. If you do miss a day of meditation, your gratitude practice, just pick up where you left off and do it first thing in the morning because that happened to me actually recently. I think that's very important not to get down on yourself just because you slacked on a day. And step number nine, uh, how can you memorialize your mother? Some people may not want to memorialize their mom right now, and that's okay. I So I'm only now getting to the process where I feel like I'm ready to memorialize her. I had this idea right after she had passed, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And I also felt bad. I felt like a hypocrite because I wasn't there for her. And it's only until more recently that I realized, okay, I'm ready. Maybe you're still grieving and you still really miss them. So it's kind of hard to really think about them because you kind of want to not think about them and think about them all at the same time. You don't want to forget them, but you also like, it's a very difficult process. You're like, I don't want to think about this because I don't want to cry, but I also don't want to forget her. And I don't want to forget her laugh and her face and her smile. And it's just, it's a whole thing. So like she would wave in this very particular way, but the wave is just a funny one. I always thought this is like such a funny wave. <laughs> the little flap. I don't know how to describe this. Um, it's like how the little kids learn how to wave. I don't know. So yeah, you just sometimes you, you don't want to forget their face and their laugh and the way they wave um, because it's going to make you cry. Just sometimes you just have to be there. You have to be there in that moment. You're just going to have to let yourself be sad. And then eventually you're going to stop crying. And you can kind of work through that. And then you can start to think about the process of, you know, what do you want to do to memorialize? Or is it that you just want to put flowers on your grave every year? Is it that you want to do a little celebration with your family and do a little birthday party? So for me, I want to do a scholarship or at least start some sort of like fund in her name. So my mom and her twin sister, it's uh, they both ran away from home when they were real young. I think they were about 15 or 16. But my mom eventually did get her GED and her college degree, and she did get a job that she was just obsessed about working with veterans, because there's a lot of kids out there who I know are truants are probably not going to school every day, are probably struggling because they have a really bad home life, they don't know how to finish their schoolwork, they don't have that help. So I feel like the way to memorialize my mom is to find the kids that need something to look forward to and somehow get them a scholarship so they could be like, this is what I have to look forward to. I have college to look forward to. And so that way, maybe they won't run away and get themselves into really bad situations. Maybe you could write a book, um, create a podcast, help others in a similar situation, become a counselor. The last step, at least I think this is the last step. <laughs> oh no, second to last step. Sorry, there might be 11. Try to find ways to divert your energy towards a greater good. And I know I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, so it's a little mix of something I said, but it just didn't, it's very, very difficult, again, that we talked about, right? Because you're still trying to cope. But if there's a way for you to focus on, divert your energy towards something that's bigger than yourself, either volunteering or whatever, helping out a sibling, helping out a family member, whatever it is, like that's a really great way to work through the grieving process, but also not distract yourself, right? Because you can still grieve, but you can also help out others and try to take some of the energy and use it towards the good and also make you more grateful. 
um, the one thing I would say is instead of distracting yourself with alcohol and drugs or whatever it is, or dating random people, you know, just trying to go through the motions, right? I urge you to try to write out some ways that you could divert your energy. Um, for me, in the very beginning, it was actually working out. It was running. So I used to hit the pavement really hard and just run and run and run until I didn't feel my legs anymore. And so that was just the way I dealt with it. And I'd cry on my runs. And I'd listen to angry music and, you know, and that's how I processed it. Uh, but I think the volunteering and then diverting your energy for good is something that's really important because I was listening to something with Tony Robbins where he was saying that a lot of people were, live productive lives, like Robin Williams, you know. And so even though he had this successful life, he still didn't feel very fulfilled. He still felt sad. I always thought that was interesting. Like, for instance, my dad was always kind of very controlling and angry. And it wasn't until after his mom had passed, he started to become a little more compassionate, a little, he started to slow down a bit. He started to appreciate the time with me and with other people in his life. And I think that if you can start to think about what you're grateful for, I know I keep repeating this grateful, 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 but it's so important. And I didn't realize how important it was until, <laughs> until recently. Um, the last thing would be not making any really large decisions. So if you're in a very low energy state, I would try not to focus on any major change in your life because when you're in that state, it's easy to make really poor decisions. That's really my last thing. It's cool though, that she, even though my mom wasn't really there and even though she, she still influenced my life yep. in mm -hmm. such a huge way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know where I'd be if that didn't happen. I'm not saying I appreciate the fact my mom's dead. I'm definitely not, but it's just, if she was still alive, I have no idea what my life would look like. I have no idea if she was still struggling with her problems. If she was, if I didn't lose her, would I still be the thoughtful person I am today? I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know this whole key. It's just so strange to think about. I hate to say it because I don't want anyone to feel disgruntled by this, but it's going to influence the rest of your life. So yeah. I think it's very important to really process and think about all of the things that you're going through, not ignore them. It's really me talk. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, you just said, um, you know, earlier you said that you, we, we can't, we can focus on the things we can control and you can't go back and change your past. I forget what there's a, there's a quote by Lily Tomlin that I like something about forgiveness is giving all, giving up all hope of a better past. Like you can't, we can't go back and undo what's been done in the past, but you're taking it and you're acknowledging that it's part of who you are. It's made you who you are today that you know it's not going to go away and you're going to continue to deal with it and learn how to grow with your grief. That's like one of, what one of my taglines is, is, you know, we, we learn to live and grow with our grief because it's not going to go away. And there's not a timeline that's going to work or six stages that you're going to go through and then be you know, happily on this other side or over it. I think we might've talked about this at some point about forgiveness too. And, you know, you're going back and you're regretting all the things that you did. And I know that I've done that. And that's also why I was crying for four months because I just kept replaying it over and over. And it's like, you can't live in the past. You will never be able to be there for anyone else in the future. If all you do is sit there right. regretting, so. And like you said, you, I, I, I didn't write it down, but you said you did the best you could at the time with what you had. 
you're looking at yourself now with a 33 year old brain at that time you were 10 and then 16 you know when you when you quote unquote left your mom you were 16 years old you were dealing with the resources that you had at that time and you were actually exercising some self-protection for yourself but when you criticize yourself with your 33 year old brain you know that's where it gets unhealthy your thoughts aren't always true just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true that was some of the stuff that i've been trying to work on yeah. was like your thoughts are not you right. i know you've said that a lot too yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and the yeah. boundaries are so difficult like i need a book on boundaries actually i was it's very difficult with guilt. I know we talked about me being, you know, Catholic at some point, but like the Catholic guilt, my dad was there for me, right? You know, he worked a lot of jobs. He supported me. He may not have been the most emotionally available and supportive parent, but he was made sure I didn't die. I was fed. I was cared, like made sure I was, was always safe. And so it's like, I always feel like I owe him the world. You know, if I won the lottery, the first thing I do is buy him a house, you know, that kind of thing. I own everything. But that can also be a dangerous place to live is if you're always like, oh, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And then you let them see through the boundaries that you've set. So okay. it's like my dad is very much a encroaching on your boundaries type of person. Mm -hmm. And I've recently realized that boundaries are an act of self-love. Absolutely. But I'm trying to figure out how to do that though, right? Because it's like, it's your parent. And they took care of you. So there is no boundary. No, just let them do whatever they want. But sometimes it's it's very hard to um, to do that with a parent when yeah. you feel like you owe them everything. So. Right. And if you've never done it before, you're going to have to instill this new consistency where, you know, if you've been this all available all the time daughter before, it's going to take both of you a while to get used to this, you know, new boundary that that you're that you need to instill for your own self-love. You know, so it's a it's a learning process for both of you, not just for you. Then you have to be consistent in your implementation of it too. Brought it up, it's relevant because daughters without moms, just if you end up having the other parents still in your life, you could almost feel like you have to do so much for them, whether or not, you know, my dad obviously wasn't close with her, so it's a little different. But especially if your dad, this was their partner, like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to move closer to him? Because what if he dies? What if he gets sick? What am I going to do? So there's that, there's that two perspectives. Either I have to move close to him because he's sad, he's alone, or I have to move close to him because what if he dies? And it's like this paranoia and anxious brain. Uh, and you have to learn, you have to figure out like what you can control. There's a change in your roles too, in your identities in the family when there's a, when there's a loss of that one unit like that, the mom role is no longer filled. A lot of times daughters do feel like they need to step into that, that role, like you're saying with your dad. So another part of boundaries and intentions is being like, I'm going to stay a daughter. I'm 33 years old. I'm going to do 33 year old things, you know? So one other thing I wrote down um, when you were talking about, like, I wish I had that when you were kayaking with your friend and, and you, you're, you know, you start to you start to stray because you start thinking about how you wish you had the family stuff that he's talking about. When you start to think that you covet something that somebody else has, has, you have to think about, would you switch your whole life with their whole life? You can't just pick and choose the little parts of somebody's life that you want to have. The reality is we all, all have something. You never know what somebody else's shoes are until they're willing to be vulnerable like yeah. this and share a story or something. For me, it was powerful to think 
I can't only wish I had a part of their lives. I'd have to be willing to say, I'll change my whole life for your whole life. So well, I so appreciate you putting this into the, I'm going to say Jamie's um, 11 life tips for <laughs> living without mom. Tell, tell people about where they can find you, what you're doing. I mean, I know you have a, a different day job, but that you've also done some work with all this um, intentional processing that you've done. Thanks. Yeah, I am in IT security in a day, but in about 2013, I got my 200 hour uh, yoga certification, teaching at a gym locally, which I'm very excited about. And I teach with a meetup group. And so my website is purebalanceandjoy.com. On Clubhouse, I'm yeah. doing mostly, I was going to say just the intentional connectors groups, but that is twice a day and it's amazing. I think it's been life-changing. You know, obviously this community is also life-changing because it's just nice to have people who are in similar situations where you can kind of feel like, oh, wow, I can relate to them. You know, I don't have to be part of this without mom's club by myself, you know, because no one wants to be the only member of their own club. <laughs> and so he actually lost his mom um, a few years ago. And so he is kind of coming from that mindset and he just created this group and was like, what would happen if I was just intentional every day? So I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I'll make sure to link all of those things um, in the podcast show notes. So you will can find um, Jamie's website there. And then I'll also make sure that I put the clubhouse group name intentional connectors group. So Thank you. Thank you for sharing all the resources with us and your thoughts um, and how you have collectively taken your, your big picture and put it into um, 11 life lessons for us. I appreciate that. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.